0: Hey everyone, I'm Avi Klein.
1: I'm Sam Graham felson
0: And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm a therapist, Sam's a novelist. Each week, we're going to answer one of your questions and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. And this week, our guest is Josh Schulmeier, co founder and editor in chief of Mel Magazine. Mel Magazine is kind of like the magazine your inner pubescent boy wished he had but never really got it's smart it's funny but it's also really honest about what it's like to be a guy so give it a listen and enjoy how would you describe Mel magazine to someone who hasn't seen it yet well the old joke was it was it was me working through some
2: shit <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, which is which is way more true than probably not uh, you know i worked in traditional men's publishing uh, prior to this and i really just felt Uh, I came out of the experience feeling confused and really shitty about myself mostly confused in the sense that I would be given like a bespoke axe to have to write about and I'd be like what 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 do you do with this yeah. the Editor, I worked at uh, Playboy magazine. The editor at the time was like, Well, cool guys hang this on their wall, and I thought, But, but do they? <laughs> cool I, don't guys. Know, I don't know anybody who hangs like axes, or, or, like John Wayne Gacy doesn't even <laughs> hang an axe in the house, you know? So that befuddled me, and then there was just a whole cadre of editors in that space that were like, uh, Who's your barber? you know, and if you didn't have the right answer, or it's like um, are those Alfredo Gonzalez socks? And uh, I don't believe those match the color of your jacket. And you felt like nobody would ever like, uh, I don't know, can you swear? Nobody yeah. would ever like, fuck you. Uh-huh. Like your kids would never stay at home if you like didn't do these like really kind of what I thought were kind of like useless things that I kind of gave a no shits about. Yeah. So the whole idea of Mel really was to start to look at what I thought were much more fundamental aspects of Guy's life. And I think, you know, in the early, early days, I've been doing this for five years now. In the early days, I think it was very quaint. And it was just sort of my own like little reaction to these ass wipes who were telling me like, again, if I don't wear the right clothes, if I don't drive the right car, if I don't have the right scent, uh, there I'm way less of a man and I should just like, you know, not even try. Um, I think after... Trump got elected. That was the first time people really started calling us. And we're like, what the fuck are going on with dudes? And uh, the answer is, you know, I think we're in the midst of this like really deep civil war uh, with men. And I think you look at certain demos and groups of people and you you, it's kind of you can tell right from the jump of like where they are on the spectrum, you know, (laughs) the MAGA spectrum, I guess. <laughs> and I think with men, it's sort of the exact opposite. I think they're split down the middle of 50-50. I think you have a lot of men who want to participate in all of the social change that's happening, want to be constructive, maybe don't always know how to do or say the right thing. Yeah, I feel like um, you
0: don't hear from those men as much. but No,
2: and that's what we're trying to do, yeah. right? And I think as cancel culture and all of this stuff gets more intense, I think a lot of dudes and this isn't like a woe me like wh- whatever like I- I'm not asking you know I don't I-, I never went into this thinking that yeah you know I was just you know t- getting back to the point of me working through some shit like I'm a 41 year old straight white male that the world has less and less value for probably with good cause <laughs> and so like how do I make my way again in sort of this existential crisis, right and I want to be a good faith Player, I want to, you know, to all of this stuff. I don't exactly know how. And I, you know, I don't always say or do the right thing um, at all. On the flip side, you know, you've got these guys who are online all day, like calling me a cuck. And, you know, <laughs> you've know, you got this really kind of group of men who wanted to go back to when men were men and blah, 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 blah. And it's it's the way I kind of feel about the coal plants. It's like, great. Yeah. Save a coal plant. Fine. Yeah. Save 100 jobs. But that in long term thinking like that's not going to help anything right. you know yeah and sure yeah like maybe it makes you feel good to be cloaked in a certain kind of masculinity that makes you feel comfortable or is just sort of i don't know j- just like inertia but i don't think that that's a positive way and and all of this social change is going to just run us over if we don't want to be kind of again constructive or, or, or useful players in helping chart a future yeah so
0: i um i love like uh the cut and like a yeah. lot of like women's i don't know women's online publications and i was always like i wish there was something like that for dudes and then when i started looking at Mel, i was like oh this is probably this is the closest <laughs> i could find well i appreciate that and it's actually
2: by design so when i was at playboy i started something called playboy safe for work that we used um gawker's kinja platform for and i, I really it was born to be sort of the men's version of jezebel yeah. like um and and mainly trying to look at what made Playboy great in the 50s and 60s around social sexual values. And I felt that there was a real opportunity to give a 21st century sheen to that that could be really resonant. And I was super jealous of Jezebel, the cut, the hairpin at the time, um, because I felt like they were getting everything that was right about new and old media and they were kind of merging it together really beautifully. And men's publishing had, you know, again, you had the GQs, Esquires, Playboys, which were hopelessly kind of out of date. And then on the flip side, you had like, mandatory in some of these online sites which were like you know 11 ways to light your farts on fire to make (laughs) dinner or you know 10 gifs of dudes eating it on a skateboard and again none of it felt I mean I think you had Deadspin and at the time Grantland which were kind of in the ballpark but were very sports pop culture focused and I wanted to focus on things like money and I mean basically what I tell people is like I feel like we have a wide demo because it, it is sort of a publication about adulting you yeah. know like at whether that happens at 23 24 25 or 48 49 or 50 there is a certain moment in time where that switch goes on where you start to care about things that you never really thought you were going to care about I think you know physical you're 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 and again not like six ways to a six-pack you know but it's like watching yourself age or you know I got really out of shape for a little bit and it was kind of fun it was a science experiment to be like wow, what's this happening to me? And I think mental health is super important. I, I We talk a lot about triangulating three things in your life, which is, you know, I think men more than ever want to be a really engaged partner and, and father. Um, I think they want to... Uh, be I think you know I'm still as ambitious as hell you know but you still want to be at home and then on the third thing like I don't want to be known as just daddy or like the guy who's going to die at my desk I'd like to have my own it's always like the most depressing time of the year for me is like my birthday and Christmas because people only get me like Chicago Cubs gear and rum and I think to myself like wow like this is all I am to you like I have, no, I, have I must have no other interests and you know I do think that's important like who are you outside of any other context that people would know and I think triangulating those three things are really really difficult and I think that's where mental health is, is super important and you know if you want to call it self care or whatever for dudes like uh, and that's the stuff I wanted to talk about you know I think when it comes to relationships it's not even just romantic relationships it's the ones you have with your friends which we know men basically have no friends after 30 you know i mean even getting back to mental health on that and like when anthony bourdain kills himself like we have a real mental health problem with men i mean he is the quintessential guy that everybody wanted to be who seemed to have it all together not even just have it all but he he was that iconoclastic irreverent seemingly saw everything the right way and and so yeah, we have no friends. So I think that's important. You know, family dynamics are always interesting. But I'm always fascinated with like work. Like I spend more time with people. Luckily, I have my own publication and 20 people work for me that have been hand selected, but there are other people I have to work with that I don't I fucking hate. Yeah. And like I have to spend more time with them than my family. Right. And like, how do you navigate those waters is really fascinating to me. And, you know, of course the other things that I think are really important are, you know, I don't think it's telling Tales out of school like dudes like sex and porn but i I never quite understood the kind of like esquire gq thing of like jennifer aniston it's like no i want to learn i want to figure out how to have sex with the people that i'm with you know (laughs) whether it's monogamous or or something else like i'm more interested in how do i get to have more sex with them i'm probably never going to have sex with jennifer aniston which is also like when george clooney has a baby and it's like what he can teach you about fatherhood it's like absolutely nothing
1: you know (laughs) know? it's funny as you're talking like I'm thinking about how much, um, without like overstating the importance of men's magazines, uh, like in terms of like inculcating the culture of masculinity in this country. Cause it's not like that many men I know subscribe to GQ or Esquire. I actually did subscribe to both of those for a while because I wanted to write for them. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. But, um, but, but I always felt like,
2: so it's a write off. it? Always, yeah, exactly.
1: It always a total write off. I, I always felt like, um, there's some like who is the demo for these magazines? Cause it always felt well, like there TV. is
2: none, it's fake. Right. It's well, an that, archetype exactly. based on advertisers. So and, it's like right. you know, it it's the guy who drinks gin, but it's not. It's the gin that you can advertise against the gin piece on, and it's yeah. the guy who wears watches, but we don't. And right. I think in the old days, like I come from a very working class background. Like my family got in this country in the 1870s, immediately started working in like factories and really <laughs> Haven't even my cousins to this day go join a plumbing crew after high school, you know? And I think in the fifties and sixties, when half started, I mean Esquire is much older and GQ are much, older, but when half started Playboy post World War Two, I think my grandfather was a tool and die maker, got those magazines, and did live vicariously through them. Right? It was something for him to dream on. I think at some point in our generation, you guys are younger than me, but it, it, I, I think it just I think it just flipped in terms of like experience is way more important to us than consumer goods. And I don't think that those publications ever got that. They just started to get stodgy and started peddling us like a. F- I, I don't see the GQ. Maybe here walking around New York, <laughs> <laughs> but I can certainly tell you even in Chicago's financial district, you're not going to get the GQ guy or if you're getting the GQ guy, it's so transparently just wanting to be the GQ guy that right. it's like, what do you stand for?
1: I think one of the things that strikes me like now looking back at those magazines that I subscribed to like 10 years ago, but thinking about like what was missing and like one of the qualities that was missing was humor and like any kind of like sense of like self-awareness it felt like. And I feel like women's magazines on the contrary, like some of them were humorless and totally unself-aware, but there were magazines for women and teenage girls that had that self- awareness, playfulness, and like, ability to like look critically at like no that's women. where the and there were, wasn't that for men like why why were women magazines way ahead well, of i think there mag- was
2: i mean the laddie magazine craze of the early aughts right maxim stuff yeah. all that stuff that really did bring humor but it brought but it was satire far more than, than humor yeah. yeah and it was also meta humor right yeah. it was goofing on gq and it didn't and esquire and Playboy but it didn't really go much past it. and at the end of the day it was still kind of the same titillation <laughs> right. you know it was just spins on it we i like you know I'm a child of like Howard Stern and David Letterman. So like I try with Mel, like, yeah, we, we cover lots of serious shit, but like we talk about our dicks constantly. (laughs) Um, I think that is super important and I can intellectualize that, but it is meant to give you some catnip. Like you can't always have like sort of the, the vegetables on the table, right? Like what's your Cheetos? Everybody wants a little bit of Cheetos in that. We try to do stuff with a sense of humor. I mean, I think it's super important if you can't laugh at yourself as a
0: dude right now, like you are basically just going to be coming an in, selling a a yeah. you know? Uh, one of the like low key radical things when I, when I look at Mel, like, like something on the front page yesterday, I think was like this article about like a uh, tall gay man. Oh, yeah, tall bottom. bottoms. yeah. And and I was like, you know, like gay men are not represented in, in any of these magazines and and like it's no, so that's
2: always been super important to me even yeah. back in my playboy days i mean we've had a very I, I look at staff diversity when you come to a gender publication more around you know we've had trans writers we certainly have had a lot of gay writers we at one point i think half of our staff was women i thought it was more interesting to have a conversation around that for the exact same reason and like not that it's all puppy dog sunshine and ice cream because it's absolutely not but like the idea that like the the gay male experience and straight male experience is not that different anymore. We can both get married. We can both have kids. <laughs> we both, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of like share. We can both
1: play professional sports. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
2: mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting. I don't know. I don't see the delineation as much. It's just masculinity, right? And and I think that we do try really hard to cover that stuff in equal in equal. I mean, you know, again. It, it is it hard it, it's it kind of impossible not to be heteronormative when you're me because like that is my experience but i definitely try to bring in a lot of people around me that can help me see other experiences that i might not be necessarily a part of so, how did
0: how did people react to like to you wanting to take that slant because it does it even today it's it's almost like we i feel like we glossed over the part where where straight men and gay men sort of like made peace or something like that. You know, like I'm not sure that there's ever been like a reconciliation, you know? Yeah.
2: I don't, um, how have people reacted? I mean, a lot of people think the site's filthy because we talk about our dicks constantly and sex and porn. I mean, I think the dick stuff is really important. We know that men don't even go to the doctor. We'll, well, only yeah, no one the- else who
0: <laughs> does talk about
2: dick. Correct. Well, one, it's white space. So <laughs> no, none of my competitors can take that. In fact, I met with one of the editors of Esquire at one time, and he's like, well, "Wow, I'd really like to do that." And and I was like, well, wh- "What?" He's like, "Why do you do it?" And I was like, "Because you don't." Uh-huh. And my favorite actually was when uh, Stormy Daniels came out and talked about Trump's mushroom dick. We did ball to ball coverage <laughs> for two days. <laughs> And it was like twenty some posts on mushroom cocks, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, all that stuff does tremendously well. I, there's a sur- there's a piece we have. Who do you get your dick size from, mom or dad? That's done like two million pages. That's amazing. Just what on, a question. <laughs> just on um, search alone, um, I think. Again, men don't men only go to the doctor if they're in the middle of a heart attack <laughs> and they need to be, you know, uh, resuscitated. Women are forced to go to the doctor every year for reproductive health. So we don't go to the doctor at all. I, I And I joke, I've learned more about my dick from Mel than I ever <laughs> knew because like, we are, it is sexual and reproductive health. And yeah. I, I think guys are really, really terrible at knowing about that. And I think it's a useful service. you know. And if hims or Roman or Viagra would like to help us <laughs> be a sponsor, I've long wanted to start a dickopedia uh, that's all about that. I mean, on the sexuality stuff, I think we take probably more backlash on some of the transgender stuff that we do. People seem still... Uh, I, I think you're Which, right I think we've kind of glossed over the maybe whether it's an easy or uneasy piece between straight and gay men I think I find some of the most interesting stuff that we've done on gender and masculinity coming from trans men because they've seen it from both sides agree. and oftentimes when they completely transition and they see it from a guy's point of view they're a little bit like whoa it is kind of like everybody does hate us <laughs> you, you know? Like, and I think that's pretty fascinating yeah. and um, I you know i don't think we're like a pioneer i mean a lot of people have been doing way more transgressive stuff than we have if anything i think we've probably mainstreamed some of that stuff for better or worse uh i still feel that that's one of those things like we did a thing about abortion and trans men that got a lot of people upset and it just seems like that's the that's the third rail issue that really bothers a certain set of people and there are progressives even who i think quietly i don't want to say disagree but aren't as vociferous as in support Hmm. does that make sense yeah and that's i think where we probably take the most that and the dick stuff i had one very prominent writer take me aside at a party once and she's like young man you're very smart uh you're very good at what you do you are too obsessed with your dick
1: (laughs) (laughs) why do you think um to 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 be unhumorous for a second why do you think the dick stuff is beyond like the health stuff men should like i mean i'm just learning that like men my age should get their prostate checked like
2: i didn't know that really maybe even freeze your sperm if you want to have kids you know
1: but like beyond the health stuff why why do you think it's actually important rather than just like the the, the business side, which obviously dicks are good for business, but why do you think it's socially yeah, and that was
2: important was also to talk by about gu- this? You know, stuff. that was from a gut instinct. <laughs> <laughs> was, I wish actually we hadn't just stumbled into things the way we do. I mean, I think, um, pun intended, although we're supposed to be not humorous, right? Uh, probably because dick stuff usually only goes an inch deep. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. I don't think that there's a lot out there. I think everything that's discussed about dick is how big it is. And I think every, you know, one of my favorite, I did two pieces that were one of my favorite in the early days. One day I was sitting in traffic and I was like, I wonder what my dick's doing or my balls are doing right now. Like I know, like, what do they do? Like, are they making sperm? Like, and it's kind of embarrassing to not know. And then another thing we did was we did an ingredients list of cum and I didn't realize there's like, you know, again, you think like, oh, it's just sperm, but there's like 29 different things in there that I had no clue about and i i i think it works or i think because again i don't think there's a lot of information out there i think that the dialogue is a narrative is almost always around dick size and nothing else and it it is a you know a why that is i have no clue well
1: it's funny now that i mean i'm just thinking out loud but like when the narrative is only about dick size, it's almost like a dick is like a technology or a (laughs) tool. Like it's not even part of your body. It's just like the thing you use to fuck or masturbate, but like it's not actually connected. And there's tons of shame uh, around it, right? If it's not the size. Right. Right, If
2: it's not a good tool. yeah. Yeah. And again, to go back to one of my, you know, I don't know if it's probably, you know, I was uh, growing up on Howard Stern. Like, yes, he talked about Dick's constantly but all he talked about was how small his dick was. Right. So there wasn't any like real constructive conversation around <laughs> yeah. what the consequences of that might be other than shame. Totally. You know?
1: Also looking back on it, it's funny. Cause I remember when, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't hugely into. I was weirdly an IMUS guy because um, I listened to sports radio yeah, yeah, at yeah, night yeah. and yeah. in the morning. Like that's what my alarm clock went on to. But um, but I I watched Private Parts the movie yeah. and and started getting into Stern um, a little bit later in my life. And you know when I when I found out that he did talk openly about his dick, I was like, wow, that's <laughs> like it, about his dick supposedly being small according I, to him. Right. It's like wow, that's like pretty. Revolutionary, except it's true. It's not like he was like it's small and I'm fine with it. It's yeah, like, or like it's- I can
2: compensate for it. The whole <laughs> show is compensation, right?
1: Exactly. The hundred million
2: dollars he makes from Sirius right now is just an ex- you know just an extension <laughs> of how he needs to prove that he doesn't just have a small debt. Right. Right. So. You know, I think I probably. How much s- do you guys talk about dick on this show?
0: Not a lot. Well,
1: actually, two episodes ago we had a oh, whole, a whole episode. We had,
0: yeah, we had Jason Rogers. Oh, on. that's right. We could yeah. a profile of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah. saw yeah. that. Um,
1: Jason Rogers, for people who haven't listened to the episode yet, is the silver medalist uh, Olympian who uh, we had a great conversation with him about his uh, life. Well, As not life, but his long struggle yeah. with erectile yeah. dysfunction. Yeah, yeah.
0: we is, should talk about dicks more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um well i'm just curious do you like i know so much do you you
1: do um (laughs) (laughs) have you guys done like polls of your audience do you have any idea what percentage are straight cis white dudes versus no
2: you know i'm surprised actually it's like 60 40 i think male female and i actually would have thought it was more female than that i for the longest time i thought it was probably a little bit more female than male um Women seem really into this. site. One time I came to New York and it was the best. This guy took me aside and he's like, every time I read your site, I feel super fucking seen. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's actually, in the early days especially pre-Me Too, that was the goal. I knew that guys were thinking about a lot of this stuff and I knew that even guys, not me, but like me, were thinking, you know what? If we just wait long enough, all of this stuff, the women in the workplace, <laughs> you know, them getting more money, it'll probably go, there'll be some sort of status quo here, right? <laughs> and... that was the vibe that I felt from a lot of the guys that I didn't really want to kind of put their neck out there on that stuff. And I just wanted to kind of pull it out of them, right? I think post Me Too, which we covered a lot, uh, it is so ugly. (laughs) So much of the stuff, I mean, some of the Weinstein stuff a lot. I'm no Boy Scout. I worked at Playboy. But the idea of like, running into a woman in the hall of a restaurant and jerking off into a plant right in front of her. That's hard. I, you know, even me, that's hard to kind of wrap my mind around. Um, I think now it's really incumbent upon guys. I don't necessarily, I want them to feel seen in the sense that I want us to have this conversation about this stuff, but all of it's out on the table. It's all fucking ugly as shit. And why I think this show is important and what we're trying to do with our staff, even and, and yes, gender diversity is really important, but I wanted to bring in more and more men from different walks of life to begin. Like, we broke it. We bought it. Right. right. So let's sift through this shit together. Let's figure out how we could constructively ever re-enter <laughs> society, you know? And so to your question about, like, cis men, I mean, in some ways I would argue it's more incumbent than ever that it's just us guys like us who sit down and Figure this out because we are the ones who fucked it up. Now again, I think you need a lot of people that help you with all your blind spots on that stuff. But if you ask me, I think it should be white dudes, black dudes, Mexican dudes, Korean dudes, and that's kind of what we have in our writers' room, right? Like, I think sorting through that together is is sort of fascinating. And I think you know, I know we're not carrying cancer. But I think it's constructive and I, I would like to play a bigger role in sort of that overarching, you know, uh, conversation about how do we fix what we clearly broke. Yeah.
1: What what are um, for, for people who are listening who haven't um, dipped into Mel at all? What are some of the give an example or two of the pieces that you're that you're really proud of that you think like? Did well, something? I, yeah.
2: I love a piece we did today that just went up. But we sent one of our writers to London to go to a no more Mr. Nice Guy boot camp. have started to pop up and these it's sort of like a faux armchair therapy psychology of there's some traumatic event in their life that they have reacted to in a way of feeling that they have to have everybody like them but obviously we know i think we even know you know post me too that the biggest rapists are actually the allies Mm -hmm. you know weinstein was a huge democratic donor uh you know you look at the shitty men media list half those guys tweet out all the time how they're feminist allies meanwhile they're raping people in the in the you know uh, the stairway at at a big media publication so i I like the no more mr nice guy boot camp because whether you agree with the philosophy and you know every real person we talked to was like this is kind of the new pua right this is like a pickup artist sort Uh. of um i thought it was fascinating i mean they go in there and hear these meek british men who are meant to like be like fuck you i fucking hate you Mm -hmm. and trying to shed that exterior and it, there is some value in the sense that you are a passive-aggressive dickhead when you're the nice guy right. right and your whole identity is about being the nice guy and i find those guys in a lot of ways to be the most obnoxious men today who pretend all this stuff but won't just tell you deep down what they believe in so it's i love that piece. untrustworthy yeah. yeah exactly i love that piece because yeah maybe it's being exploitative of that maybe there's no real science behind it but it's an interesting thing to think think about at a top level, you know, I do think that there's some snake oil salesman stuff to that. Um, So I love that. I'm super proud of that. I mean, every we do a lot of true crime stuff that I love. I mean, like basic last week, I think we did um, or last week or the week before we did all the profiles of the PIs who track down people who fake their own deaths. And that was fucking fascinating. And we got like this Brooklyn pre eyes. Like if you do, you know, I I will find you, (laughs) you know, like you're not getting away with it. This, um, I'm really hoping Tinder changes their rules, but we ran a piece. I think it was Wednesday that really blew up about men who've been reporting women on Tinder basically for turning them down. So if they get turned down, they report them for terms and services or whatever violations, and Tinder doesn't do any due diligence there. They just immediately shut them off. Yeah. Um, and so there was this this sort of cadre of women on Twitter who were talking about th- that we seem to get shut down every time <laughs> we swipe right on a guy, and then it's all you know, it's always somebody who says something really angry, and then next thing they know, they sign in and they're off. So I mean, I'm really proud of that because I think you know, whether you want to call the site a woke or feminist, which I don't love labels any which way we really are just trying to figure it all out. I like that. We did that piece because it, it is, it's not necessarily calling. I mean, it's calling a certain kind of dude out. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's important to kind of shine a light on that behavior.
1: Well, you guys have, um, succeeded in sort of perfectly landing in that niche space of like being, um, praised by woke critics and feminists, but also, um, still having that kind of transgressive uh, sort of not holier than thou spirit, which, and humor, which is, which is a big thing that we talk about is like, how do we make sure that like, we're not, because if, if frankly, if, if straight white guys aren't listening then this is a, a huge failure because they're the ones who need to be <laughs> yeah, listening the most. But like you've, you've been praised by Amanda Hess from the New York yeah, times who is, who, who I kindly. think came out of Jezebel, I think, yeah. but you know, she's, she,
2: yeah, she was at good magazine with Ann Friedman actually.
1: Right. Right. Who we've had on, yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, so you guys have managed to, um, to please, uh, when and woke people, but also probably, dudes who wouldn't necessarily yeah, and we embrace can, you those know labels. It's one of
2: those things, one day it's too feminist, the next day it's like Mel's heel turn and we become red-pilled. I mean, we've done a lot on um, male sexual assault um, and like why can't we call it rape when a woman you know the, basically sexually assaults a man? That stuff does really well for us. You know, I don't... Idiosyncratic is probably too... We have a value system, right? Like I totally believe in certain things. But I also think it's worth investigating and hearing people out maybe more... Than others do. And I just try to follow sort of what I think is an interesting thing. And I, I don't want to be too judgmental or self-righteous, right? Like we could have done this no more Mr. Nice Guy boot camp. And we could have t- all the experts we talked to, we could have just taken a giant shit on them the whole time, right? And probably justifiably so. And probably some fair criticism would be like, you didn't shit on them enough. You got a couple perfunctory quotes from people. But the reality is, Isn't it more fascinating to understand that this is going on and to really see inside of it and to try to really understand what these guys are hurting or what they're trying to get over? Because it's not a one thing, a one-off. They have these nightly meetings. You know, this is a real thing happening to a lot of men. And we've done that when we've written about a lot of the manosphere, right? Like, yes, could we take a much bigger shit on them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we come at it with like, we don't think that this is a healthy way of going about things and they don't like that? Yes. But for the most part, I'm actually really interested in figuring out what is making them tick. I don't have to agree with it. Um, And on on the top, of I think Fast Company, when they profiled this, said that I don't give a shit. Um, And of course, you have to give a million shits to give none. But like I will, and maybe these will be the words that will come back to haunt me and we can, (laughs) I don't want to be kowtowed or or I don't really want to... I tell my staff this a lot. I don't want to adhere to pre-approved narratives by the Blue Check Mafia, uh, which is the only nice thing that Breitbart has ever done for the world. It's coined that term. <laughs> like, I don't really want to be cowtowed by that. I want to, I, I you know, I, I I love many of those people and I think they're great, but I also don't want to be part of that same circle jerk slash echo chamber. Uh, one, I'm not on Twitter. I don't really, I mean, I, I read about like the Cubs news on it. Like, you know, what I mean, like I'm not part of that world in large part because I find it, not necessarily all that enlightening
1: yeah. you know
2: and and i mean that on both sides frankly and and i try really hard of like i do want to check us and i thought that were times last year where we did get a little bit too much like oh this is what the twitterati says so you know we we have to adhere to that narrative too totally
0: all right let's all go right, to the right other this side. Is, i think this is a very uh appropriate speaking of the uh no more Nist- mr nice guy uh guys i think this this is for them Hey man, I need some perspective on something. I'm 40 years old, have two kids, I'm married to a great woman and run my own business. My problem is that I can't seem to stand up for myself or say no to just about anyone. Definitely not my wife, not my parents, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, not even my kids. I'm fortunate enough to be pretty successful in my line of work and have people regularly reaching out for advice, help, or money to invest in their projects. It's almost always impossible for me to turn people away, and when I do, I usually feel really guilty. If I need to hire someone to do work on my apartment, I can never negotiate and if someone shortchanges me, I just let it happen. Some of the guys I work with are complete assholes and suffer no consequences, but I just can't do it. Is there something wrong with me? How do I stand up for myself? Is this something I can change after 40 years of being a pushover? Help signed beta on Broom Street. Wow, this couldn't ad- this couldn't be better yeah. with our no <laughs> no more Mr. Nice Guy boot camp. Yeah, is that your new sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was uh earlier i got lunch and was walking down the street and this guy um was on his bike and just like you know did just the typical shit that happens in new york just like cut in front of me and two other people and one of the one of the people he cut in front of was just like dick (laughs) (laughs) and i'm never i'm just not the kind of person who's like quick with my words but then um then i was walking and And uh did that give you a thrill I was like, good for you. Just like to say it. I appreciated it. Um, and then I walked by like some like tiny like Pomeranian or something and it. And I laughed out loud and something about, you know, it's like um, being pissed at the guy was harder for me to like vocalize, but it wasn't hard for me to like delight in this funny looking dog. It's
1: funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm like super selective. I, I mean, I think on the on the ledger, I, I am on the nice guy side. And I say that not proudly, but with some degree of shame. But um, but I think, uh, like, I'm very selective about when I can be confrontational or a dick. Like, for some reason that's, with that... That's true. You do have to
2: pull your... <laughs> I mean, you have to pick your battles. Well, but I'm not... I don't feel like I'm see, picking. See, I feel like it's just happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not...
1: So, so like, okay. I wish that the way I was uh, directing confrontational was with people I know. My friends, hmm. my family, you know, that, uh, colleagues... Those are the spaces where I'm, like, you know, basically...
0: Like where the truth matters.
1: Yeah, and and where I just either hold my tongue or act more doormatty than I should. Then when it's, like, when it doesn't matter and it would make sense to be a Zen guy, like when I'm driving and someone cuts me off, I always have road rage and yell at people and yeah. roll down the window. I also, like, I mean, like, in when it comes to writing, like, I consider myself pretty fearless about, like, writing stuff that I know will... Uh, piss some people off and for some reason if it's like in writing and it's not directed towards a very specific person it's okay but then when it's like face to face i like really have a hard time like saying something direct and truthful that's standing up for myself i think
2: my last bit of that my last bit of passive aggressive nice guy stuff might be that i'm still struggling with is the people that i write off so the people that you've been really honest with that you've tried and they just are not Taking it in, not listening, mm-hmm. they're never gonna change. It's everybody else's fault. Yeah. I struggle and, and you know, again, going to the work context versus the the family like I there are those people in my work sphere that I don't have the control to cut out of my life and I don't know how to deal with it after you've said your piece. Yeah. And, and again, picking your battles, like you don't want to go in every day and say your piece. But yeah. like when you've said your piece and kind of two or three come to Jesus's.
0: And they just won't get yeah, it. Yeah. And
2: then I just kind of write them off. Yeah. Which I know is kind of, again, it's, it's not passive aggressive, but it's like, I don't know how to solve that problem. And that's the new thing that I've been thinking a lot about it. Like, how do I deal with that better?
0: I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me how else, like, of course you would write them off. They're not going to. But that's
2: not healthy, right?
0: Well, but you're, there's a limit to how can you that you've probably exercised as much control as you have over that and then they have to change or not right like yeah i don't know it's just hard to accept that i think yeah absolutely um yeah so what would we say to this i mean one of the things that i've been working on is like since it's usually my default is i'm just non i don't think i'm a nice guy but i'm i can be non-confrontational and so like so often what i just do is like giving myself permission to come back to something later, you know, like if I, I think what used to stop me in my tracks before was this expectation. Like if I don't tell someone to fuck off right away or I didn't like it or like then like that, the statute of limitations is expired and now I can't say anything. Although I will
2: say, from experience. I agree with that. I think you let everything marinate and you figure out the right way to articulate it. But I have become a big believer, especially from a business standpoint, of the two things that I hate doing every day are the first things I'm going to do. Mm. So if I have to give what I like to call an emotional chiropractic adjustment to somebody, <laughs> it's going to be like right when I get in. So I you know, Because you... I feel like if I don't do it, then yeah. you just find a million excuses not to do it. And then another day goes by and then you're that emotion that you felt and have sorted through kind of like dissipates enough. And I, I feel like somebody like that, like everything that you hate doing, I tell my employees this a lot, like do it right away. Like mm-hmm. your to-do list, like the four things that you know you put on there just to feel good that you're like kind of taking on, but you're really not going to get to. Like you need to move those right up to the list, you know.
0: How do you talk to someone when you have to give them an emotional chiropractic adjustment? <laughs> oh, I'm very calm. I'm much more
2: disappointed dad. uh huh Not to bring everything back to sports, but there have there been a couple times where I've lost my temper and it's very much like uh, I'm from Chicago, so like a lovey smith was the Bears coach very calm never really lost his 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 temper and then I remember one time Brian Urlacher who was and Lance Briggs the star linebackers said that they had played real shitty in a first half and all of a sudden just at halftime he just let it go and uh, they got it you know and I think again it's picking your spots Um, I think you have to be really rational when you deliver stuff but you have to be really firm in terms of and that's where I think thinking about it helps and I, I actually in my Evernote Kind of type out my bullet points i don't like read it off but it's like this is kind of the narrative this is why i feel this way this is the evidence that i have these are the constructive steps that i see moving forward um and try to deliver it in a package so it's
0: really in a way not emotional it's like you're really thinking through what you want yeah but
2: they need an emotional readjustment Mm -hmm. you know because they are seeing things either too emotionally or they're not seeing things correctly
0: What? I mean, i some people call that gaslighting. I call it motivation. (laughs) 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 I work, you know, alone most of the time. Um, so I don't have to have these kinds of workplace confrontations. Like what are people, what are people coming to you with?
2: I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I have 20 people that work for me. It's a little bit like a deli counter every day, right. Of like, and, and everybody's problem they think is the most important thing in your life. There's also like, I have a lot of young people who are really, really talented, but still have not done a lot of the more managerial stuff. And I think it's important to consistently course correct that stuff. I'm a big, big, big believer in like postmortems. So, you know, that's one nice thing about working on the internet. We do nine things a day. We try to every day talk through what worked and didn't work about it. We try to stay on top of like, who's working? Why are they working? Why aren't they? And I, I think that when you can establish that kind of culture of a consistent feedback loop, it shouldn't be so surprising. That said, it's still hard for people to hear things. It's hard for me to hear things. It's hard. You know, I just had a thing recently where i kind of got emotionally out of whack and i don't think i was seeing things clearly and i needed to take a step back and kind of check myself and also change you know it's it's hard i think as you get more and more successful changing the first time i don't even think it's hard i'm not even sure changing the third time is hard when it's like the 32nd time and you realize that change is this ever (laughs) living thing that you're gonna have to continue to do at some point you just want to be you know what fuck it like i've changed enough (laughs) i've moved it long enough like i feel emotionally and intellectually sated by the (laughs) challenges I put myself in. And no, I don't want to do that anymore. And, but I kind of came to a moment where I was like, you know what, this is on me. Like, I need to take a deep breath. I got to figure it out and I'm going to have to like, look at how I do business because I think in some ways that edge got a little too hard. And, you know, you have to go back and,
0: you know, course correct. Like and also we, people you know, were giving you feedback that you were just. No, thinking, I would. You know, uh,
2: people are giving me feedback in the sense that you can read a room. Yeah. You know,
1: um, you know, it's it, it's funny thing about what you said about changing for the 38th time or whatever. And just feeling like at, at what point do we just get to be like adults who um, have arrived? And uh, I don't have, think ever. <laughs> I know, of course. But but um, but just just I was thinking about like playing a thought experiment of just telling this guy that he doesn't have to do anything and um that like maybe it's actually okay that he's a nice guy in a pushover because i think in your context it's important for you to be a hard ass when you're man or somewhat of a hard ass yeah, when or, you're managing or at least
2: firm firm like not be taken advantage
1: of selectively firm yeah. not be taken. this advantage guy seems of. like he's being
2: taken advantage of. well right.
1: but but here's the other thing this guy is married to uh, a great woman he says in his own words so he's got a happy marriage it sounds like unless he's, he's a nice guy and has to add oh those that's adjectives uh, uh, good, to good, good meta point yeah. but uh but he also uh sounds like he's quite successful in you're, his career you're married, right
2: yes are you married oh, yeah. yes is it is it ever great i mean is it not is it not peaks and valleys (laughs) i mean anybody who paints with a broad brush on that as opposed to like with the reality of life which is sometimes it's marvelous and it's marvelous it's like major league baseball Mm -hmm. right like if you win you get three out of ten you're happy like i I think marriage is very very uh, challenging in the same way of changing for the 30th time i've been married for a long time it 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 evolves and changes on its own so i know
1: this novelist who says like he completely shuts down anytime he hears somebody utter the phrase i'm happily married yeah exactly. <laughs> he's like, what the hell? and that's not even okay. a bad thing i <laughs> no. think
2: like ma- you know happily married means accepting that it's not always going to be again rainbows puppy dogs right. and ice cream or actually you know? no i
1: think the phrase was i have a happy marriage yeah. and he's like what come on like uh, yeah. sometimes it's happy is it really like- i know
2: i joke with my wife all the time i said your biggest problem is i love you
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but look I, the thing that I'm, that I'm just thinking about is like, um, you know, on, so, so one thing that we've, that's come up a bunch of times on the show is, is meditation. Cause it just happens that like almost all of our guests meditate, right? I don't know. Have you ever tried meditation? I do not. Um,
2: but, uh, getting back to Michael Dubin, he's a big proponent of it. Okay. And we've done a ton on, on mental health and, and self care around meditation.
1: And I mean, one of the sort of like, you know, the, the basic sort of uh, bedrock idea of why you meditate is to let go of things and to stop trying to control shit, right? So, like, you know, I, I, on, on some level, I mean, I think there's a big difference between being a nice guy... By default and by fear, versus like being a nice guy because you have total equanimity and you're like, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't really give a shit. Yeah, that it doesn't is, really bother but what's me. What's a true. nice guy, what's a yeah.
0: night, nice, like a, a quote, quote unquote nice guy trying to control? I think that's a good question. Yeah. I think they're trying to control uh, people not liking them right. or they want feeling to guilty, like right. right? Like uh, things like that. And so I would probably definitely, if this was someone I was working with and I see people who struggle with this all the time. Like, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to both maybe be a dick or be firm or whatever, and someone doesn't feel good and you feel bad that their feelings are hurt. That's okay. I always
2: say this all the time. If I can go to bed and sleep at night, Uh I know I've done the right thing. There have been times where I've been too much of a hard-ass or too much of a pushover where I get up in the middle of the night and I think, you know what? I didn't handle this. You know, this could have been done better. Mm -hmm. You got to believe you're right on this stuff, I think.
0: Yeah. Or Um, own own that you were wrong. Correct. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I also, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't get the I, I think what nice guys really truly are doing is uh building these walls to go to discomfort. Yeah. Like it's not even they feel bad. They don't want to go to parts of their personality that make them feel uncomfortable because they don't want to do the change the first time, the fifth time, the thirtieth time, right? Like there's a persona that's so important to them to be and I think it holds a lot of people back.
0: I agree. I mean, I think I think for a lot of folks People, I'm thinking of, you know, they're just really afraid. Maybe, like, maybe I'm. If people knew the real me, they wouldn't want to be around me, you know, or they wouldn't love me, or they wouldn't like me, and and that's uh, that's a heavy worry to carry around.
1: But for I don't know. For me, when I do the the Mr. Nice Guy thing, um, I think a big animating. I'm specifically talking about like when somebody is a dick to me or does something unfair you know and i should say something and be like hey bud like you look what you just did don't do that anymore and i and i don't speak up honestly one of my big fears is the like pot calling the kettle black problem of just like if i start going down the road of like criticizing other people for yeah. you know like do i have to be morally impeccable and i know that i'm um a long stretch away from morally impeccable so like how do you deal with that issue of like what gives me the right to say something uh, I mean, I, not... I try
2: to, again. Pick my spots. Yeah. to do it with my family and my employees. I am not unsolicitedly like going around <laughs> telling people. Fuck you like, and you, yeah. And I mean, I I bite my tongue. Listen, you can probably tell I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of hubris, and nobody loves me more than me. So, like, uh, you know, so I am not, but I am also, um, I can be that Midwestern stoic. Like, I'll keep it to myself. You know, in where I don't feel it's my place. Like, what I certainly do, things absolutely different. On some, yeah, but I'm not going to go out of my way. Now, if I feel it's, again, vital to the collective, I also think what's scary about something like this is being so fearful about individual decisions, mm-hmm. <laughs> somehow reflecting poorly on you, as opposed to like you are sort of a collection of, act- you know, you are the sum of your parts. So like one little thing, saying no to your wife about one thing or saying no to your kids about one thing does not make you a yeah. shithead father, or shithead husband. Right, right. you or, don't have to be perfect. Correct. And, yeah. like, you, again, you have to get enough of the decisions right. And the, they have to be shown to where you can sleep at night, being, I made these decisions not out of my own selfishness. I made these decisions because I thought they were best for the collective, for the family, for the workplace, or whatever. It doesn't seem like that that's the case. If anything, it seems like he's miserable. That,
1: that's a really important point. I actually don't think in all of our episodes that kind of point has been um, made on the show yet, which is just that, like, people tend to overrate the importance of like one decision yeah. thinking like one decision, probably cause like Hollywood movies are all yeah. about one decision yeah. that will change your life forever. Right. And, and it's never like one decision basically never fucking matters. No. Like I can't think of a single time in my life where one decision I, I made mean, like every once in
2: a, a while. And again, life. when it goes back to course correction, you do go back and those are the nights that keep me up sometimes where I was like, God, that was maybe more important than I thought. I fucked it up and now I need to go like fix it. But again, I think you are the sum of your parts, right? So like, I hope that any one thing, one decision doesn't really, it's not a represent. I like that. I know it's not real in the Nate Silver world to do. I like the statistical thing where you throw out the best score and the worst score. And it's somewhere, you know, all the ones in the middle matter because you're going to have bad days. You're going to have great days that are also not representative of, of what you're capable or who you are. You know, I like to tell a lot of my employees like. What are you doing for me on a random Tuesday at 3 p.m.? That's what matters. Like not when <laughs> when you feel really creative today or oh, I don't feel so good. You know what I mean? Like I, it's it's all the quiet moments, the rote moments that in a lot of ways are the most important. And I think intentions are super important. I think a, to your point about hypocrisy or whatever, I think like a value system is important. So if you're making decisions that are consistent enough with those two things, I don't see how people could get mad at you because they're logically... Uh, attached to sort of like a bigger worldview that says more about who you are as a person than just being somebody who wants to be perceived as likable
0: so do we have any advice for this guy i mean <laughs> well, well you got to start somewhere with the nose you got to so start I, I, I think with that's the a good kids point. i think yeah. that's the easiest one kids i say well, no <laughs> I, I don't know do you have kids <laughs> it's easy. Oh, yeah i have three kids yeah yeah i say, no to, to say no to yeah. your kids <laughs> no but I,
1: I actually um if i can like steal, um, uh, some advice that was already used earlier. Um, I think the idea of starting the day doing the the thing you least want to do on your to-do list. So I almost like think that this guy should put like number one on his to-do list, like write the uncomfortable email to the person who you know, did I something agree. rude to you and just mm-hmm. do it first thing tomorrow morning and, and just pick one thing. Like, I don't think he should go through his whole laundry yeah, list no, of like, like, I you mean, know, grievances, but like pick, pick one thing and just do it. You yeah. Know? Try
2: it out. Also, I had a, uh, another executive once tell me that she had witnessed this guy. Uh, he was like a COO or something like that in a meeting and she was just blown away at how good of a, like a listener he was. And these like two or three other skills. And she went up to him afterwards and said, you know, I was just really impressed. Like, you're really good at staying calm. You really listen. Yeah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? Actually, I'm terrible at all of these things. And she, he opened up the notebook that he brought with him every day. And he'd written those three things every day in the corner. Like, be a good listener. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I think that there's something. T- I mean, I don't want to get all secrety about that crap. But, like, I think there is value in something like that. If, like if setting you're, that intention. If you're bad at something, mm-hmm. why not remind yourself?
0: Yeah, I do that all the time.
2: And I think that would be good advice of like, you know, say no once today.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Cause, you know. It's funny because I think um, men are pretty good at like taking up a challenge if it's a physical challenge. Yeah. If someone's like, go lift that huge <laughs> amount of weight, bro. Even if it's scary, you're like, all right, I'll do it. But if it's like an emotional challenge, most men are like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, right. I agree. And I almost think like, you know, I'm just going to imagine this guy is like, uh, some kind of macho athlete um, in other respects of his life, you know. Like I, I don't know. Like maybe it would be helpful, like to think of it like if you have the courage to do something physically daunting, which a lot of men s- uh, seem to do. Like, why yeah. can't that translate and in, in, in something you know that's how, emotionally? Uncomfortable.
0: I, I do think like like men like to do. They like to take up challenges, or do they like to show off. I, I think of it more like like you yeah. you like to do something that you probably can do and like and show how strong you are but like i don't know i I feel like one of the masculine traits i hate the most about myself is like not wanting to fail or not like not look bad and like this is more like that like you're gonna look dumb the first like you might come out bad the first time you try to like tell someone no as a
2: therapist though don't you worry about where this goes when you when you you're this is all pent up right yeah like, this is a guy, like, hanging from his nipples from the ceiling. Up, you know what I mean? Like, this goes... I mean, we're crazy if we think that this doesn't go somewhere. He's the you, troll like, on Reddit or... Right, you,
0: you're you right. Like, it has, to, it has to go somewhere. Like, the anger that you might be feeling and all of that stuff. And for some people, it goes against themselves, you know? Like, they just beat, beat up on themselves because they can't beat up on anyone else. And for other people, like, all this Me Too stuff, it comes out, like, secretly or, yeah. you know, behind closed doors. So... Yeah, it is healthy. It's good for you to work on this and to make peace with. Uh, yeah, and those are extreme examples. But, I mean, I got
2: to think that this
0: goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has
2: to. And not in a constructive way. Right. Maybe I mean, in a releasing way. Or I
0: guess you could say like not in a way. Constructive, that it's, you're not know. in charge. You, you have less control when it's unconscious or when, you know, when you're not okay with that yeah. part of yourself. It'll come out in ways that... Um, yeah, and you I guess may maybe
2: that—not like. to be against self, maybe it is better that you go work it. Maybe you can have a happy, great marriage because you can say yes to everything because you are hanging from the ceiling from your nipples <laughs> twice a week. That that gives you the release that you need. I don't know. I guess every but to each their own, but it doesn't seem <laughs> to me like the healthier, healthy. It doesn't seem healthy to keep all that in.
0: I agree. I agree. I think, and you know, I mean, he wrote the question because obviously he he agrees. At least a part of him has concerns too. Like, can I? can I change now? You know, that was his question. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, if I can, if I can modify from my early thought experiment of just telling him like, you're fine, how you are. I think, I think the ideal space for not just him, but any dude, any human being is um, the ability to choose your battles, right? The ability to like, all right, this is one where I'm totally comfortable letting it go. And it's not going to make me feel bad. And it's not going to like disrupt my sleep at night. And this is one where I know I'm not comfortable letting it go. It matters too much to me. And now I'm going to fucking say something, you know. And the ability to make that choice, I think, would be really empowering and nice for this guy. Like right now he feels trapped like he doesn't have ever have the choice to do, you know, option B, which is to say something.
0: Well, and to elaborate on that, it's, you know, I think people like you and me, Sam, like when we think of choosing our battles, maybe we're like, let me pick the one where I think I can feel okay about it, which is maybe never. So I'll never do it. So that's it. That's like choosing your battles. Cause, but choosing no battles. Right. And then there's choosing like, this is the one that's important. I need to do this cause it's going to have big consequences. So I'm going to put it first on my to-do list. And that's also
2: what I think is a con- little concerning when every little decision is so important to the to the point that we were talking about before like if you can't you've got to be able to differentiate between what what is important on this whole list and what is not and what you're fine with and it seems like all of this is sort of like a confluence of everything is important and therefore nothing is important
1: totally by the way just just one other quick thought which is that um he is going to get some blowback if he stands up for himself because as we've all said like nobody likes to be criticized or told that they're like making other people feel uncomfortable or whatever. No one likes that. Everybody is defensive. Right. Um, but I think what's, what's important for all of us to just remember is that like people might get pissed for like a day or two and then they will probably get over it as long as, you know, you're not doing this constantly and it's like indicative of like a core characteristic of who you are, like standing up for yourself. It's going to piss someone off for a day and then they'll get over it and be fine. Um, Especially and if you're and in a great marriage, I'm we, sure she'll probably understand. <laughs> but I think we wildly overrate uh, the idea of like this. This will be a deal breaker, and people won't get over it. You that's. Know? I think that you're <laughs> right
0: that that's a big fear yeah, here. Yeah.
2: Like,
1: yeah. Um So, what's the piece of advice that has stuck with you that you uh, want to share So I believe with our this listeners? is from the Zen Master.
2: So I grew up in Chicago in the 1990s. So you know, there the really the people that I think are geniuses that I still live by are anything that Oprah Winfrey has said. <laughs> Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, Michael Jordan or Phil Jackson. And I've always liked, I don't know if it was Phil who pioneered it, but I always liked the sports adage of like the 24 hour rule. So if I'm upset about something, I really allow myself to be upset for 24 hours. That usually is like me getting lost in a bottle, like a, a pirate ship, you yeah. know? Um, and if I'm really excited or I feel very successful or whatever, I also just give myself 24 hours which also usually involves getting in a bottle like a <laughs> and then let it go and just start the next day over from scratch. I think it keeps you like very level, you know, like never get too high, never get too low. There's always kind of a new day.
0: If people want to check out Mel. Yeah.
2: So just come to Mel magazine, M-E-L, uh, the magazine, the way you would spell a magazine. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter where we're very active at. We are Mel. Um, and same on Instagram. And uh Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, man Thank you.
1: That's a wrap, everybody. Uh as always, you can email us with your advice questions at heymanpod at gmail.com. Better yet, shoot us a voicemail, 917-426-4326. If you want to get your Instagram or Twitter on, we're at HeymanPod. And, um, as always, we really appreciate if you would give us a review, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast and it makes a big difference for us.